Hello, Rob. Hi, Paul. How are you? Oh, oh I'm wonderful. Wonderful. Technology at its finest. Hi, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to Since You Asked, and even if you didn't, we are covering the midterm madness of Tuesday night and the last 72 hours of Trump world. We got a lot to cover and not a whole lot of time to do it because you don't want to listen to us forever. So here we go. We got to jump right in. Well, duh. Let's start with um, your state since it's the most pressing of the matters <laughs> right now, I guess, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Arizona is caught in the middle of a tight, very, very tight Senate race right now. Last, yeah, I, checked, last I checked, uh, Kirsten Cinema took a very, very small lead. Uh, the, the percentage is 49.1% to Martha McSally's 48.6%, and it's about a 9,000 vote difference. Yeah, this morning it was about McSally by uh, about 17,000. And we've seen about a 26,000 vote flip or 27,000 vote flip now. Incredible. So, uh, and more to come. Yeah. And why And why did we see that flip, Rob? Well, uh, from what I can tell, first of all, this is a, a consequence of, and I don't necessarily think a negative one. Uh, it's it's going to happen in, in races like this. But what you're seeing, why, why we're still counting, is this is a consequence of, of – um, voting by mail. Arizona is a largely vote by mail state. About 70% of uh, people who vote in Arizona vote by mail, uh, usually. Um, of that course, I can't... What's that number? 70? 70%. 70%. And I mean, I can't answer if that holds in this election yet, because not all the ballots have been turned in yet. But as a general trend, it's about 70%. Uh, Incredible. Uh, that vote by mail. Uh, so we really don't have election day in Arizona. We have election month in Arizona um, because you see uh, early ballots go out in, in early October, uh, about a month or so before election day, uh, they hit. Um, mine was delivered to me on October the 10th. Um, I filled it out that day. Uh, the Secretary of State's office received my ballot on the 16th of October. Uh, so my my ballot was in the hands of, of um, well, my county recorder's office actually received it. Uh, so my ballot was in the hands of my county recorder's office about two weeks, um, well, two and a half weeks before the election, according to the Secretary of State's website that I used to check and see if they got my ballot. Um, and so uh, what you're seeing now is a number of counties had people that either dropped their early ballot off to a polling place on election day because they forgot to mail it in or they didn't mail it in in time. Hmm. Um, and so you see a number of those and you're, you're also seeing people um, who, who maybe mailed it in um, later, but it still arrived in time <laughs> for election day. It just didn't arrive in time to get counted mm -hmm. before now. So it's being counted now. So, so Rob, what do you think the, the effect of having a an election month as opposed to an election day is well uh a couple of things um number one in arizona we have very short general elections 
um, because we have very late primaries. Um, and mm. so you, you have about a 90 day or, or let, well, did we have 90 days? No, we had uh, 70. You keep talking. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. We had 70 days maybe from August 28th to November 6th. August 28th to November 6th would be, yeah, uh, not quite 70 days. And I think we had 69 in 2016 or something like that. So we have very, very short uh, general election periods where you are solely focused on the general election. Um, What that means is you've got a tough primary, buddy. Um, You might be in some trouble because – uh, if you have if you have a tough primary and a tough a tough general, uh, you're going to have right. to be very strategic about your money, um, because you're going to have to hit hard uh, once the general election season starts. You're going to have to have ads ready to go up right away. Um, you, but there's also you, the there's also the uh, the advantage of of voter. Yeah, well, yes, I mean you, you you run like you're losing, but you're planning to win, right? Um, and so, so you run scared, but you prepare because if you're not prepared, well, it's going to hit you, um, hard. Um, and the thing about having an election month is, um, it often sometimes, I think one of the pitfalls to it is that sometimes people in the, in the days and weeks, Leading up to an election, there's information that comes out about a candidate. Um, maybe that's right. damaging, um, and sometimes it comes out just a few days before the election. Um, in a state like this, several of the a majority of the ballots probably are already submitted. Um, the cards are have right. to be played, and so some of that information sometimes comes too late. I think in this case. Uh, cinema's gaffes about calling Arizona the meth lab of democracy, um, yeah. yes. and things of that comments of that nature came out early enough that you probably um, saw their effects by uh, the turnout that happened in some of the counties in northern Arizona that turned out hard for McSally, um, who mm. were planning on staying home, maybe, and then. Uh, saw those comments coming from cinema and thought, well, uh, I'm going to show her I'm going to vote now, and I'm not going to vote for her. I'm going to vote for McSally. Um, I think what you had in this race um, is, is you had two very, very uh, impressive candidates. Um, I mean, certainly you can have your your biases, and, and I do have them. I'm not going to share them, um, but I have them. Um, but, you know, McSally was the first uh, woman to, to fly in combat. Um, she has right. an impre- incredibly impressive military record. Uh, she's Absolutely. been a, a bipartisan uh, problem solver. She's been a, lot, a part of a lot of working groups in Congress. She became pretty close to Speaker Ryan uh, and got some leadership roles on, on some uh, subcommittees for uh, water issues. Um and for military, save the A-10, um, has, has done some great things uh, as a member of Congress. Kirsten Cinema 
also has had a pretty bipartisan record. I think there was an independent group that named her the third most bipartisan member of Congress or, or something. Um, you know, she has a pretty compelling story of, of growing up in, in poverty and rising to get a Ph.D. and and now become a member of Congress. Um, Martha McSally lost her dad when she was 12. Um, neither one of them um, are married, which... I hmm. it, that I don't care. That doesn't really matter. I just think it's interesting. Um, yeah. The cool thing about this race, regardless of who any uh, person voted for in Arizona for the Senate yeah, race, it's the first one. A woman. Gonna be it's the first one going to the Senate for us, and yeah. um, that's really pretty cool. Uh, Arizona's had four women serve as governor, but never in the Senate. And we've had several, obviously, serve in the House, McSally and Cinema currently, and then uh, Ann Kirkpatrick getting ready to serve uh, in the House from the second district here. Uh, and and so, you know, you, you've seen uh, several uh, women as part of mm-hmm. our, our state's political leadership yeah. before. Uh, I think... Um, about a year or so ago, uh, a study was released saying that we had the highest percentage of our state legislature uh, were, were women. We had 40 percent of the state legislature were women. Um, the first hmm. uh, the first uh, Chinese-American was elected to, to a statewide office on Tuesday. That's Kimberly Yee, and she was elected as Arizona's state treasurer. So um, she there again, we're continuing the tradition of electing. Uh, impressive women to uh, to major office here, and of course she did uh, had some great service in the state legislature prior to her victory as state treasurer. Um, and we have uh, we have a couple of other races uh, that are undecided right now that could um, could also end up with with women as victors. Uh, there you have. Um, uh, uh, Kathy Hoffman is a Democrat who's just taken the lead in the in the superintendent of public instruction race. She has about a twelve thousand vote lead, a little bit less than that right now. Um, and uh, Katie Hobbs, who is a state senator, has uh, by more than in half uh, cut the lead of Steve Gaynor for secretary of state. Uh, and so, hmm. um, you know, you you could see, we could still see some more women coming into leadership. Um, the Several members of the of the legislative leadership that was selected by the Republicans and the Democrats in the Arizona legislature have been women, uh, including the new Senate president. Um, um, so Arizona has always been a, a, a great state for uh, women leaders. Uh, we've had a lot of them. In it, and I think um, that uh, that, you know, Arizona is, is ground zero for for great women in, in leadership, mm. and and Tuesday night was a great night for women. Uh, yeah, so let's continue on that. Um, you know, we'll we'll keep an eye out for for the Arizona Senate uh, results and see where that goes. But uh, but it certainly was the year of the woman. Um, let's move to uh, our home state of of Kansas. Uh, we elected a woman uh, Democratic governor in Kansas, Laura Kelly. Yes. Um, beat, out, beat out Chris Kobach uh, by a sound margin, too. 
about 5%, um, which was, I mean, an interesting race to say the least. Uh, For those that might not know, Chris Kobach was a a strong Trump supporter who was also extremely anti-immigrant and faced a lot of scrutiny, even from the most conservative uh, members of of Kansas. Um, and so, you know, the result of that, uh, that Kansas swings back Democrat again in, in the governor's position. Well, I think, uh, you know, you, you saw Kansas in large part uh, withholding the third district results. You saw Kansas in large part go very heavily Republican. Uh, 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 Ron Estes won his re-election by 20 points. Uh, Roger Marshall mm-hmm. won his re-election by uh, 25 points or so. Uh, Steve Watkins won in the in the um, the second district. The Republicans actually, I think, gained a seat, uh, barring provisional ballot changes, gained a seat in the state legislature. Every other uh, statewide office went to the Republicans and not by small margins. Um, in fact, every single other office went to Republicans by margins larger than, than that in, in the governor's race. Uh, I, I do right. think uh, that Greg Orman's candidacy played a, a factor in, in, that, in that the margin of the governor's race was small. Yeah, he, re- he received 6% right. of the vote. Uh, and so maybe, you know, the, the margins wouldn't have been as, as simple to compare if he wasn't part of that, but he was, so we, we do. Um, but I think it's a pretty flat rejection of uh, Chris Kobach that you see people put uh, Scott Schwab in as Secretary of State. You see people return uh, Jake Letourneau as State Treasurer for a full term. You see people elect Derek Schmidt to a third term as Attorney General. You see people... Right. Uh, elect Vicky Schmidt uh, as an insurance commissioner by I think, the largest right. margin of any Republican statewide, and and that's and see people um, put some pretty conservative Republicans in the legislature, uh, and, and so I think what it is is it's, it's a flat rejection of Kobach, um, and I think that Chris Kobach just simply talked about the wrong issues. He, he talked about immigration and the migrant caravan from Central America to Mexico to supposedly the United States, although that hasn't been talked about since before Tuesday, so I don't really know what happened to it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, maybe it stayed in Mexico like we all said it would. <clears throat> Convenient. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why he chose to talk about immigration instead of talking about taxes and jobs and um education uh, right more i mean than he surely, did. And, surely. And, and i think he did talk about them but it, his focus was on immigration more and i think you just i i think a lot of it you you saw people um had a, a bad taste in terms of kobach um and and his yeah. alliances to trump even though trump's very popular in kansas i think you saw um, maybe some anti-Trump wave there. I think you saw mm-hmm. uh, brownback fatigue uh, take place yeah. there. Um, I think you saw people not seeing their issues being talked about. And I think they just said, nope, see you later.
Um, we, we are done. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you had a lot of Republicans who were concerned with Kobach's rhetoric uh, and with right. his policy ideas. And so, um, you know, I had a lot of people tell me after he won the primary that they did not think it was going to go well for them in the general. Um, and and I, 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 by the same token, I had a lot of people tell, tell me on the Democratic side, they didn't think they were going to be successful because they thought only Josh Schwadi could win a general election in Kansas. Or Kelly won a general mm-hmm. election in Kansas. And, and that's right. impressive. Now, I don't know if she'll win another four years, um, but I think I think a lot remains to be seen about how well uh, she can work with uh, a a Republican legislature that has a super majority in both chambers. Uh, right. And you know, yeah. pe- people people have been going on social media saying, "Oh my God, Kansas is going to fall to the liberals." Blah blah blah. blah. Well, wait a minute. You you, you, <laughs> you you defeated a bunch of moderate Republicans in the primary. Right. Then you had an right. increase of Republicans in the legislature right. by one seat in this election. You have a Republican no, supermajority yeah. in the legislature that can override the veto of the governor at any time. And you're going to sit there and tell me, you're going to sit there and this... tell me that Kansas is going to start rolling back stuff on guns and abortion and all that. No. No, yeah. sorry. this was this was not, about not going to happen. This was about uh, this was about Laura Kelly. I mean, it, it clearly they saw more so. I guess it was about Chris Kobach because um, I think people on the outside who might not have paid as close attention to the race kind of just saw Chris Kobach as a reflection of Donald Trump, and when that reflection didn't come to be. In him getting elected, uh, people kind of thought, "Wait, well, what the hell's going on with Kansas? Why? How could this happen? How could we? How could Trumpland lose with a Trump candidate?" Um, and the fact of the matter is that Kobach was a toxic candidate. He, you're exactly right. He spoke with a rhetoric that Kansans don't speak with. They might have those beliefs about immigration, um, but it's. It's a it's a different uh, breed in Kansas, and when I I mean I think they approach it in a different way. You, you saw how um, publicly unpopular Chris Kobach was by his fundraising numbers. Uh, the hmm. the bulk of his campaign money came as a loan from his running mate. Um, hmm. I mean he, he had something like in the last report that I read, he had under seventy thousand dollars. Of, of money that, that the campaign had actually raised left. The rest of the money that the campaign had left was was part of the loan from, from Wink Hartman. And so right. I think, you know, you, you just did not see the public buy-in to Kobach's campaign. You saw a lot of public buy-in to, Kel- to Kelly's campaign. You saw a very organized effort of moderate Republicans against Kobach. Every living ex-governor of Kansas, except for Sam Brownback, uh, endorsed Laura Kelly. Uh, Sam Brownback didn't make an endorsement. Um, I don't think Senator Dole made an endorsement. Uh, Senator Kassebaum endorsed Laura Kelly. Um, I don't know if Senator Moran made one. I know Senator Roberts endorsed Chris Kobach. Um, but I, I, I think you, you did not see a unified Republican Party around Chris Kobach. I think no. that, that hurt him 
um, a lot. Uh, Rightly, yeah. And, and yeah. I think uh, I think that that picture is pretty clear, given the fact that the Republicans right. otherwise did well in in Kansas for the most part. Um, to speak, except for that one, except uh, for that that big congressional uh, seat there in the third district, which, and, which and, I mean, a huge, huge deal with uh, Sharice Davids, um, first Native American woman to be elected to Congress. Uh, she is along with a... the one in New Mexico. They're they're going together. Right, 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 right. Um, and I, I, I congratulate her. Her victory is is um, important for uh, Native Americans. Her victory is important for LGBT um, people and members of, of that mm-hmm. community. But Kevin Yoder um, has been an excellent congressman. He's worked really hard. Uh, he knows that district. He works for that district. Yeah. Uh, he right. believes in that district. Um, he has worked really, really hard on the ABLE Act and been a great advocate for people with disabilities during his time as a congressman and as a, and as a state legislator uh, also. Um, Kevin Yoder, well, I... uh, you know, he's, he's an appropriator, and I think one of the things that people um, need to start thinking about when they think about incumbents uh, in Congress is the positions that they have on committees. Um, and to be on the Appropriations Committee is a, is a very powerful uh, place to be. And, and Kevin Yoder was on it, uh, was probably... Uh, lined up to be a chairman or a ranking member, at least of a subcommittee, mm-hmm. um, and and Kansas has had uh, a member of the Appropriations Committee for a long time. Uh, Kevin Yoder has had it, I think, since he started in Congress. Um, before that, Todd Tihar right. had it since 1997 until he left right. Congress. Um, Jerry Moran was on appropriations, I think, for a while when he was in the House, and he might still be now in the Senate. Um, and appro- I mean, appropriations is an important committee. And he had that spot. And so, um, especially in the House, where constitutionally he holds power of the purse, um, mm. losing Kevin Yoder's prominence on that committee, uh, I think, will hurt for the district in a way that some people maybe haven't considered yet. Um, Kevin Yoder, I think he is young. I think he'll be back. Um, I think. 2020 will be a different year. Um, I don't know if he'll go for the same seat again, but I, I don't think we've seen the last of the Yoders, and I don't think we should. Um, yeah. I, so, I, I mean, I would just say that um, I think it's refreshing to see that that Kansas still has the ability to um, elect a progressive to Congress. Um, you know, it was something that was unexpected to in my eyes. I didn't see it coming. Um, yeah, but I, I think I mean, I think that where 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 um, Kevin Yoder will be missed, I think Sharice Davids will fill in in other areas that Kevin Yoder might not have been able to in Congress. Um, and I think that it will while, you know, we may lack that prominence from his um from being on the appropriations committee, Sharice Davids is going to bring, you know, 
a new um a new wave of of progressive um ideals into kansas and i and you know i think there's nothing wrong with that at this point in time i, I think that kansas could use a little bit of um a little bit of a, a grain of salt to go with their <laughs> conservative uh well I, I you know i'm just concerned paul davis was a, a great candidate and i'm short in the in the second district, but Paul Davis has been around Kansas his whole life. He served in the Kansas state legislature for more than a decade. Um, he almost became governor uh, in 2014, and then he came up short yeah, in this race. Um, so I don't know that we'll see more of him in the future or not. Um, but it concerns me to see someone like Paul Davis, who is such a formidable candidate, um, be unsuccessful, and then see someone like Sharice Davids, who hasn't really been around Kansas very long, um, who, as far as I know, doesn't own property in, in Kansas, um, and who did not debate until the last minute, didn't debate Congressman Yoder, um, and only debated uh, after ballots had already gone out, um, and debated with the Kansas City Star moderating after the Kansas City Star had already endorsed her. Um, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not trying to discount her victory and, and I hope that she serves well. And I, I wish her well, uh, in serving the third district. There's a lot of people that I know and love in the third district and they need good representation. And I, I hope that she, that, that she can, can serve them well because Kevin Yoder has, but I, I am cautious of, um, I don't necessarily think newcomers to a state running is bad, but I, because I, you know, certainly I have plans to run for Arizona soon and I haven't been here but three years. Um, but I don't even know if she's been in Kansas that long and neither is Steve Watkins who won in the second district. Um, right. and so that's concerning to me. I think if you're going to run in a place, you should know the, the issues that face uh, that that district or that area, wherever it is that you're running, and I think that you need to meet with the stakeholders. And I, I don't know that she did that. I think a lot of her support came from the DCCC and the DNC, um, and and I hope that she will serve well. I I pray that she does, uh, and and I wish her the best in working with the delegation. I hope the delegation of Kansas uh, welcomes her. Um, you know, Den- Dennis Moore, Congressman Moore, uh, was Democrat mm-hmm. from the 3rd District for 12 years. Um, and, right. and I think had a pretty good relationship, uh, even with the more conservative members of the Kansas delegation, in getting things done for the state. Uh, I hope that those same courtesies exist between Sharice Davids, um, Congressman Marshall, Congressman Estes, and uh, Mr. Watkins, uh, as they become the new House delegation for Kansas, um, but but yeah, I mean it is. You saw the first um, the first openly uh, gay candidates elected to the Kansas legislature, um, right? You saw uh, um, Asian Americans elected to the Kansas legislature, and that mm-hmm. that is a wonderful thing. Um, I 
and and you saw that all over the country. I mean, you, like I said, we had uh, Kimberly Yee here in Arizona. You had um, right. you had uh, uh, the first Muslims elected, uh, first Muslim women elected um, in the Midwest. You had um, historic victories for, uh, I mean, ninety six women at least going to Congress. Um, that, right. that is the most ever in the House. Um, that's impressive. Um, I think you you saw the number of women in the Senate uh, decline by by one at least, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, but uh, it, it certainly increased in the House. I think by at least eleven. Uh, and there are still some races yet that that have not been called, so it could be more um, by the time all is said and done. Uh, you saw three states elect their first women governors, Maine, Iowa, and South Dakota. Um, Kansas is the only state to elect three Democratic women governor. Um, and I think Kansas uh, joins uh, New Hampshire and Arizona now in having the most women serve as governor. I think Arizona has had the most at four. Uh, and then I believe that New Hampshire uh, and Kansas are next at three. Um, so it, it was a great night for women. It was a great night for LGBT candidates. Um, several victories there, including Jared Polis as the first openly gay governor in the United States, uh, and Kate Brown, um, already in Oregon, the first uh, LGBT governor, uh, bisexual. Um, if Kirsten Cinema. Uh, wins here, you'll have a, another uh, LGBT senator. Um, and right. uh, Tammy Baldwin, of course, the first um, uh, lesbian um, senator in Wisconsin uh, who was elected mm-hmm. to another term. Um, you had uh, President Trump, really smart to focus on Senate races uh, because the Senate uh, map was very favorable to Republicans. Um, and uh, I mean, you, you saw at least three uh, Democratic senators lose their seats, perhaps a fourth if, if things hold in Florida uh, for Rick Scott. We're going into a recount now, so who knows? This could take weeks. Um, but, you know, Florida is familiar with recounts. Um, <laughs> that they had. It seems to be a formality for them at this point. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I I saw a uh, a tweet, and uh, it said, "I I think if Florida was choosing between ice cream and a kick in the head, the vote would still be fifty point five to forty nine point five." And I thought that was pretty funny. Um, that's no offense that's to my dear friends in Florida, right? Uh, right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I, I think what's unfortunate about Tuesday, uh, a couple of things. Number one, there's no clear message at all, none whatsoever, other than incredible turnout and participation in elections all over the place. Um, some people are saying by the time everything is counted in Arizona, we could be going as high as 60 to 62 or 63 percent turnout. I mean, we, we are talking presidential-level turnout in a lot of states. Yeah. Um, 
in a lot of states, you saw presidential level turnout this year, and that's awesome. And if you voted and you're listening or you're going to listen, you rock. We love you. Well done. You did your job. We appreciate you. That's fantastic. Uh, And you should always vote. Voting matters. Um, And informed voting matters. Uh, But one of the unfortunate things, I think, is, is that you saw a loss by a lot of moderates. Um, you, you saw uh, Leonard Lance in New Jersey and um, uh, Carlos Cribello in Florida um, lose their seats, Mike Kaufman in Colorado. Um, even Mia Love in Utah, who wasn't really all that moderate, but who was a critic of the, of the president on a number of things, um, did, not, did not come through. Uh, yep. And so I, I think the unfortunate thing is that the uh, and then, of course, you see uh, senators like uh, Claire McCaskill, uh, who was a pretty bipartisan member of the Senate, um, Heidi Heitkamp um, and and perhaps Bill Nelson um, and Joe Donnelly uh, lose their seats. And so, you know, it's it's you, you weren't seeing Elizabeth Warren lose in Massachusetts. You didn't see. Um, you, you, there were no surprises in Massachusetts. No, no, but I mean, you didn't see Elizabeth Warren lose her seat. You didn't see some of the more progressive uh, members of the Senate um, lose their elections. You didn't see some of the more progressive members of the House lose their elections. In fact, you saw progressives winning some primaries, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Um, yeah, and uh, and uh, Miss Presley in in Massachusetts, um, and so uh, I, I think well, what, you're, what so- you're seeing is, is a a turn to extremism in both parties, and I I don't think that is yeah. necessarily good because generally divided government forces uh, people to work together, but what you have to have is is and I wrote this the other night is. You, you have to have a conduit who's willing to come up with a solution. And mm. you, you have fewer and fewer uh, people who are, are natural sources to turn to to be those conduits uh, because you have people who are uh, just at the extremes of both ends. And I think what's unfortunate is what we saw in the Senate uh, races in particular is um, hardcore allies of Donald Trump mm-hmm. in the Senate uh, races were successful. Um, critics of Donald Trump in House races, even Republican critics of Donald Trump in House races, not successful against Democrats. Uh, right. And, and uh, I mean, you, you saw two Trump allies uh, in Ohio and Florida uh, win governorships, although I, I do understand that Florida is going to a recount, so that well could change, but I, well, we'll see. Um, and so I think you're, you're seeing both parties turn to the extreme, and, and I, that's not helpful. I, I agree. Um, I think that is a reflection of... of 
people our age and the way they feel about politics and the way they feel about politics is, you know, they're either extremely liberal or they're extremely conservative. They're they're either on fire for Trump or they want to see him uh, out of the White House, you know, tomorrow. Um, And that the beautiful thing about it is that democracy showed up and and showed its face when when we have that many people who are you know so far to the left or so far to the right getting elected that means that people are coming out to vote we saw it in the numbers um and and now that they are elected they're going to have to figure out a way to work together otherwise we're going to have a stalemate for the next uh two years and 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 you know that's a very realistic possibility but um i think what was beautiful about tuesday is that the american people spoke and um and their voices were heard and and that is excellent and i i am very happy about high turnout i'm always happy for participation in uh the democratic republic uh, and it gives me a lot of faith in the future of our country to see so much turnout among uh, first-time voters, uh, new voters, lots of right. registrations across the country. Um, right. that, that's great. Um, hi, warning to my party out there, if anybody is listening, uh, we're not winning young voters. Right. And we got to figure out how, how to turn that trend around if we want to survive. Um, or you just turn join the dark side. Well... <laughs> But 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 uh, I think I think there's a middle ground to be found there. Um, I I really think there is. I think we're in it. I think we're in a very strange time. We are in a very uh, strange time. But I and, I I do. The the president was very smart to focus on the Senate race because even an expansion by one seat at this point, if Democrats manage to pick up Arizona, and by some unbelievable miracle. Uh, the Mississippi special is won by Mike Espy. Um, right. Even an expansion by one seat is historic. Um, it, it, it's only happened five times, I think, in, in modern history. Um, and I'm pretty sure. Oh, is that... I mean, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't happen in a, in a first midterm. The president's party expands their majority in the Senate. I, I think it's only happened five times in modern history. Um, and I so usually the usually the uh, midterms the first midterm of a presidency is is very bad uh, for the president's party, um, and and I don't think this one was particularly good for the Republican Party, but I don't think it was as bad as it could have been. Um, Democrats are on their way when all things are said and done in the House to having their largest number of uh, seats picked up in 40 years and having a mm-hmm. larger majority than Dennis Hastert ever had during his eight years as speaker. And he's the longest serving Republican speaker in history. Um, so Democrats, whoever they select as speaker, they're going to have a, probably a more comfortable majority than Dennis Hastert ever enjoyed. Um, and their largest yeah. in four decades. Um, that that's, I mean, they are, they are at this point at their 2006 levels uh, during the Bush midterms. Mm. Right now, mm-hmm. um, they started to make inroads 
to pick up a lot of they lost a lot of seats in the state legislatures um during the Obama they, presidency. Um yeah, they won back right. about a third of those on Tuesday night. That's a big deal. Um they also I think if I'm not mistaken, they got a majority of the uh attorney general posts in the country uh, on Tuesday night. Um they broke the supermajorities in Republican legislatures in several states. They picked up seven governorships. Um, Republicans still have the majority control in most legislatures. Um, they still have uh, a significant number of governorships. But Democrats picked up seven governorships, um, and that's a really big deal. Republicans, uh, for the last two years, uh, were enjoying historic highs in terms of the number mm-hmm. of governorships that they control. I think it was like 36 or 38 uh, that, that Republicans had. Uh, when, right. Uh, after Jim Justice switched over, and that was the most ever. Um, so for Democrats to pick up seven governorships, that's a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, President Trump likes to talk about his victories in Pennsylvania, um, uh, Wisconsin, um, and uh, um, Michigan. Michigan, and, and, and he lost them. And, and he lost them. I mean, you look at... Um, uh, Pennsylvania, you saw several seats in Pennsylvania flip uh, for Democrats in the House, and Governor Wolf reelected uh, in Wisconsin. Um, I don't know if, if they flipped any congressional seats in Wisconsin, but uh, I do know that they definitely flipped the governorship, uh, and Scott Walker uh, right. did not get elected to a third term uh, in Wisconsin. And um, you saw the, the Republican. A nominee for governor in Michigan uh, lose. Um, and so th- that doesn't set the president up particularly well for 2020. Um, he should hope that the recount in Florida goes toward Ron DeSantis. Otherwise, that doesn't right. set him up very well for 2020 either. Um, he still set up right. pretty well in Ohio. Uh, Ohio sent a pretty pretty strong slate of Republicans uh, for the next four years in their statewide offices, uh, especially with Mike DeWine uh, as governor. Uh, Mike DeWine's been around Ohio politics for a very long time. Um, he's, he's able, he's capable, um, and I, I think he'll, he will serve well uh, as governor um, and certainly sets the president up well in Ohio. Um, what's going to be interesting, however, uh, is if John Kasich decides to challenge uh, the president, mm-hmm. where do these people fall? Um, you know. How- well, let's 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 talk about that just briefly with Kasich, um, to who to um, not not seek re-election in Ohio seems to. Well, he was term that- limited. Oh, okay. How many terms he served his he served two terms? Two terms. Yeah, he served eight years. Oh, I didn't know that he served all eight years. Well, then, regardless, though, uh, it, it, all signs point to him primarying um, Trump in twenty twenty. The way that he speaks, the way the the things he posts on Twitter, everything seems to point towards him running in twenty twenty. Um, and I think that is almost 
more dangerous um, for the Republican Party than than only uh, what happened on Tuesday. And, and it, it, it's possible. I mean, I, I think unless something absolutely crazy, crazier than what already happens with Trump, <laughs> and I, it would have to be it would have to be an indictment of. Donald Trump Jr. at this point for for anyone to even consider viably running against Trump in the primaries of 2020. I mean, I think, look, what you saw on Tuesday was, I think that people, I mean, there, there's no clear message, right? Um, one of the things that I took from the, the Senate um, is that people, there's no amount of unpresidential rhetoric that's going to stop Republicans from turning out to put conservatives on the court. None. Right. Republicans have always cared about judges. That's always been an issue that Republican candidates have run on. They've always run on law and order. They've always run on the courts. Um, uh, they've always, you know, run on judicial restraint. Um, have they always run on it, or has it only been since... Democrats started using the courts for their own political benefit that they no I mean to... I think Republicans have always run them I think it's been ramped up in the last thirty five years probably mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. I think it's always been part of the platform um that okay. that that a number of prominent Republicans anyway have used I think it has certainly uh become more prominent as both sides have politicized the court. Um, and as as we have um, confused uh, political and judicial conservatism and political and judicial liberalism, um, because they are two entirely separate and different things, but that's another episode. Um, I, I just, I think... Um, Republicans like what Trump is doing with the courts. Uh, he's sticking to his list of conservative judges. They're filling a lot of seats on the federal bench. They've put two justices up now for the court. Democrats entirely botched the Kavanaugh process. Um, and, and then you, you saw um, uh, a couple of the accusers and one of their attorneys referred to the FBI for criminal investigation because um, of, of lying under oath uh, to, to the Judiciary Committee um, about statements they made uh, in, the, in the Brett Kavanaugh hearing process. Right. Um, right. And I think that energized a lot of Republicans to vote against those red state Democrats, Heidi Heitkamp, Claire McCaskill, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Nonnelly, um, a couple of things, though, I mean, I think Heidi Heitkamp was always vulnerable. It's North Dakota, for God's sake. Um, you know, right. I mean, hi. Um, the, 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 yeah. but, but the Kavanaugh vote certainly didn't help. Um, Joe Donnelly, I think, uh, was taken on a lot by the fact that, well, A, the Kavanaugh vote, um, B, He's right. running in Indiana, where the vice president is from, uh, right. and is popular, um, which is funny. People sort of have amnesia that they didn't really like him when he was their governor, but now that he's vice president, they love it. 
Um, and I think that Joe Donnelly fell victim to the president's yeah. popularity in Indiana. Um, Claire McCaskill, I think, was politically dead for a while. Um, I don't think her vote on Kavanaugh helped her. Um, but I think that she thought that Republicans would nominate another bad candidate like they did when they were nominated Todd Akin. And, and they didn't. Josh Hawley was a good candidate. Uh, I think Claire McCaskill banked on uh, a bigger war between Josh Hawley and Harry Greitens. I don't think that the McCaskill camp thought that Greitens was going to leave office and give up the fight against Josh Hawley. Um, I think that she thought that they would stick around a little longer and play that out a little more. And if they had, it probably would have played to her advantage, but that was not to be. Um, Bill Nelson, we don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. Um, I think for Joe Donnelly, though, also, he didn't really have a lot of legislative achievements that he could point to. Um, Claire McCaskill hmm. and Heidi Heitkamp were a little bit different because they Correct. worked they worked in the bipartisan uh, women's group in the Senate to get some to get some at least as co-sponsors of legislation uh, to get some some things done. Joe Donnelly really hadn't gotten a lot done. Um, yeah, he's been called the least effective member of the Senate. Um, and that's not really? that's not really a tag that you want put on you when you're running for reelection no. in a red state as a <laughs> Absolutely Democrat. Not. Um, right. And, and I think the thing about Bill Nelson in Florida, I don't know if if that race is going to hold. But Bill Nelson doesn't really have a lot that he's um, been the leader on necessarily. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he's been the the ranking member on the Senate Aging Committee for uh, since January 2015, which is good considering the number of retirees that live in Florida. But but what has he really done? I, I don't know. Like he, I'm, I know that he has co-sponsored a few good pieces of legislation, especially with Susan Collins, and I know that he has been a part of some of those bipartisan groups. But where has he really taken the lead and where, like, where's his his go-to issue? I don't know what it is. Um, you know, Cory Gardner in Colorado has water. Um, same thing with John Kyle. Um, Joni Ernst in Iowa has, has military. Chuck Grassley is the judiciary. Orrin Hatch is finance. Uh, uh, um, Chris Murphy's gun violence. Um, uh you know, um, Patrick Leahy uh, is the Democrat um, on a lot of things because he's been around since Watergate. Um, <laughs> Diane Feinstein's biggest uh, judiciary. Um, you know, every senator sort of has their wheelhouse where they um, are introducing a lot of legislation usually um, or co-sponsoring a lot of legislation. I don't know where Bill Nelson's wheelhouse is and to say after being in the House for 12 years and being in the Senate for 18 that you don't have a wheelhouse, uh, that doesn't really benefit you in Florida when right. you're going to have a close election against a very uh, popular opponent, two-term successful governor who's you know has a, a pretty strong record of things that he has done for Florida in the last mm-hmm. eight years, specifically that he can point to. 
And Rick Scott, you know, also as an independently wealthy person, did a lot of self-financing for his campaign and was aided a lot by that. Um, was also aided significantly by his leadership and the response to Hurricane Michael. Um, and, and and did well uh, with that. Um, and that, that boosted him. Um, certainly, uh, the president's popularity in Florida boosted him. Um, Ron DeSantis being tied to the president also boosted Rick Scott, I think. And that's what has so far um, allowed for both uh, Scott and DeSantis to be in the lead in their respective races. Who knows if it'll hold? But note to Bill Nelson, as, as you may maybe get to go for a term four, find your wheelhouse, please. Mm. Like you, you were yeah. the, the Florida commissioner for fire, water and insurance for six years. Do something on those issues. Um, I mean, I know he introduced good insurance legislation with, with Susan Collins, but you, you just don't see Bill Nelson getting fiery and passionate about very many things. Um, and I don't, that doesn't help. That, that doesn't help. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that um, once you, once you get to the Senate, I mean, you, you really have to have a voice. I mean, every yeah. single, every single member of the, of the Senate should, should be doing something actively and vocally that every single person in America should know should at least know the name you know when you hear when you hear a senator's name and you've never heard that person's name before that's a that's a that's a bad sign (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) Yeah. and and you know Bill Nelson he's he's well known for his you know, for for um, for his uh, work with uh, NASA, but yeah, you know, since he entered into politics, he really you you're right. He just doesn't have he doesn't have a wheelhouse. He doesn't have an area that he really focuses in on and and excels at and and makes his makes himself known. Well, I and, mean, and, and Marco Rubio has taken an incredible leadership in foreign policy. Um, and sure, the, yeah. the junior center in Florida. Um, and and so, uh, I mean, you, you very well could actually see Marco Rubio chairing a committee uh, in the next Senate. Uh, it's possible um, that, that he could advance uh, there. I don't know who's who's going to chair foreign relations. It very well could be Senator Rubio. Um, yeah. and, and so the other thing I think Bill Nelson has to do you know, if if he goes back to the Senate, he's got to to amp up what he's doing on the aging committee, um, mm. because ranking member that's a pretty powerful position, right? You're basically a vice chair. Um, yeah, you, you you're yeah. you are the highest ranking person of the minority on a particular mm. committee. That means you should be introducing legislation within that committee right. constantly. Absolutely. And Susan Collins is not going to be – she's not an unreasonable person, so she certainly is not an unreasonable chair. Um, and I'm sure that she and Senator Nelson could work together on a number of things, and perhaps he just needs to publicize better what the hell he's doing. Uh, maybe he needs a new comps. Yeah, and, and I think I, that's, I prob- um, that's probably part of it is, is just that, you know – But 
I have no doubt that Bill Nelson is working hard for the oh, United I, States. And, and I, I don't, I don't mean to and say I that he's you not. Don't, I, you don't mean to say that either. I, but it's a matter I, of, I, I don't, I, I don't think not, that you that you get a forty-five year career in public service just voting the right way. Exactly. I don't, I exactly. don't think that happens. But I don't right. think that he. I think he ran. He, he started off with a really bad campaign, um, mm. and didn't didn't get it in shape very quickly. Um, right. And, and and that that hurts when you're in a, a close race. Um, right. But I think what what you're going to see with so many women and so many diverse women, women, uh, especially in the Senate, uh, have been known for their productivity. Um, Barbara Mikulski and Kay. Uh, Bailey Hutchinson, who are now both former senators, uh, and Kay Bailey Hutchinson actually is the United States ambassador to NATO right now. Um, but they started in in the uh, early uh, 1990s. They started a group, a dinner group, for the women of the Senate to get together mm. once a month. No memos, mm. no leaks, no staff. Interesting. And they just have dinner and they talk. But they get things done because that because they have chosen to establish personal relationships with each other as the women in the Senate, Republicans and Democrats. They're right. able to get things done together because they know each other. And so you mm-hmm. often see women in the Senate working together on legislation because of their personal relationships with each other. And they do that in a bipartisan way. Uh, and actually, you know, I've heard several male senators say before when you get on the floor and you see several of the women huddled together, the prevailing attitude is often, oh, crap, what are they doing now? <laughs> They're up to something. And so I think, I hope that you see that same level of passion for productivity amongst mm-hmm. the women in the House. Because, I mean, you're looking at yeah. probably 100 women in the House, if not a few more, right. by the time right. all is said and done. And all the results are, are called. You have eleven races that haven't been called yet, right? Um, you're probably looking at a, at a hundred women. You're looking at ninety six or so right now. So you're probably looking at a hundred women at the end of the day. That's a lot. That's almost a quarter of the house, which yeah. is amazing. That is fantastic. Well done, my friends. It's a it's a much more diverse Congress than the last one, and that's a good thing because it's more reflective of America as a whole. It's also mm. much more polarized, I think, a Congress than before. But perhaps we can bridge that divide, starting with the women working together in the House mm-hmm. and in the Senate. Uh, and hopefully the women of the House uh, take a page from the, the Senate book uh, and replicate that tradition um, and, and start getting some things done. Because uh, truthfully... Um, there's work to do, uh, and there's the only way we're going to get work done now in divided government is by working across the aisle. But there's a lot of work to do um, for the American people. There's work to do on health care. There's work to do on immigration. There's work to do to make sure that economic policy is sustainable. There's work to do on the national debt. There's work to do on climate change. There's work to do for people with disabilities. There's work to do for the LGBT community. There's work to do for uh, religious freedom. There's work to do for race relations. There's work on so many different things: um, energy policy, uh, water and fire, um, which sort of falls in with climate change. Conserving our our environment and making sure that uh, 
um, you know, this place is beautiful and habitable for a long time, um, and that 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 we are safe and secure in living here um, on this earth for a long time. Um, working with the EPA and regulations for the environment, uh, working with uh, equal pay for women, um, working against non-discrimination for all parties, um, working on student loans and the cost of college, uh, working on, on um, restoring confidence enough in the American consumer and working on student loan issues enough that people in our generation won't, won't put off getting married, starting a family, buying a home. We are putting off those things, Paul. Uh, and I, I know that you and I are exceptions to the rule because we're, <laughs> you are married and I'm getting ready to be married. Uh, yes. and, and so, you know, we, we kind of have broken our trend here. Right. But, but, I mean, come on. In general. The, the, we are putting off these things. And that, I, that well, is not sustainable. No, long term for us to keep putting those things off. Long term, um, it's not. I mean, that's my point: is that there's work to do, and we got to work together to get it done. Because there's no one party rule in Washington anymore, Uh, and and the president is about to learn, uh, if he hasn't already, that the art of the deal in New York is not quite the same as the art of the deal in Washington. Uh, A bit different. It's a little bit different, um, and I, I think um, I, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next two years. But it is certainly uh, a historic night. Great, great uh, victories for Democrats, and I, I don't. Um, I mean, I, I think you can say that in many ways it was a wave. It wasn't the wave necessarily that we were hyped up for. It wasn't the wave that the media projected. Um, but it, I think it certainly was a wave. Um, I think that uh, you, you saw a few things, though, uh, that should be... Uh, Telltale signs for 2020, and I, I will be interested to see what you think about this, Paul. Um, Bernie Sanders' endorsed candidates did not flip a single Republican seat. Not one. Um, and and uh, Joe Biden uh, endorsed a lot of candidates who flipped seats. Um also, Amy Klobuchar had a 24-point margin of victory in Minnesota. That's a bigger margin of victory than any Democrat had in Minnesota on Tuesday night. Um, mm. And I, I think if, if, if you're a Democrat and you don't put somebody from the Midwest on your ticket in 2020, you are not going to win the election in 2020. Um, your most impressive victories uh, in terms of of uh, the Senate uh, and the governorships came in the Midwest uh, with Senator Klobuchar at 24 points uh, with uh, 
governor like Pritzker in Illinois, uh, governor like Evers in, in Wisconsin, uh, governor like Whitmer in Michigan, uh, governor like Kelly in Kansas. Um, I mean, those are, those are four Midwestern governorships that Democrats picked up. Um, they, they did well uh, with um, seats in the Senate in the Midwest. Obviously, you know, they had some losses in the Midwest in red states. Um, but, but Amy Klobuchar, that was an impressive, an impressive performance. Um, and if she's not on the ticket in 2020 somehow, I think that's a mistake. I do. Yeah. So I think what you see with the candidates that Bernie supports that aren't able to flip Republican seats is not necessarily a rejection of his ideas, but I think it is a um, it's an effort from Republicans when they see somebody like Bernie Sanders come out that tells them that they need to turn out and vote. So if, if Bernie Sanders does anything, it is that he causes the other side to come out and vote because they're scared. They're, they're scared of his ideas and they know that his people turn out. Um, and so if, you know, if I'm a Republican, which I'm not, but if I was a Republican, I'm not sleeping, <laughs> You're not. I'm not sleeping on anybody that anybody that's running that is endorsed by Bernie Sanders, because if you do, you you chances are you're going to lose that race. Um, and fortunately for Republicans this time, it didn't happen. Um, I think in 2020, Democrats, the only way they win is if they run somebody that doesn't quite isn't that isn't quite as um, progressive as Bernie is doesn't it doesn't follow the democratic socialist agenda um, because I think that it while it has its merits um, and uh, an equal society absolutely is something that we all are striving for um, I don't think the uh, American system is one that can adapt to that uh, that level of government ownership. Um, and I don't think the American people will um, allow themselves ever to get to that point. But um, um, by the by the same token, though, the Electoral College benefits Republicans as a whole. Um, I it think. does. And, I, and so I, I, I think you have to have Democrats in a general election who can play to that. Um, and I just think that this shows that Bernie Sanders can't do that. And that yeah. Bernie Sanders like candidates cannot do that. Right. It's not going to work. Um, and I don't think that that extremist hardcore devotees of either party generally uh, enjoy long-term success in a presidential election. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think perhaps you saw, I, I don't know if I would even call Donald Trump a hardcore Republican. Donald Trump is a, is a breed of his own. Um, he certainly has, has made attempts and some plenty successful to redefine Republicanism. Um, 
there are plenty of people like me, I have to say, who will make plenty of attempts to redefine it back to what it should be. Um, but I, I, I just think that if you're the Democrats and you're looking at, and I'm not a Democrat, I know, <laughs> I know, I know that's a shock, um, but, but, but I think, uh, I, I think you, you've got to be looking at, uh, Amy Klobuchar, you've got to be looking at Joe Biden, you've got to be looking at John Hickenlooper, you've got to be looking at, at those kind of candidates, um, and if, if I'm Republicans, I'm looking at people in swing states who have enjoyed yeah. success. I'm looking at John Kasich, I'm, who has never, by the way, never lost an election in Ohio. Never. Hmm. Never. For the record, uh, he's been a part of, I'm pretty sure it's 13 elections in Ohio. Wow. Um, has never lost one. Um. That that's kind of impressive. Um, Very impressive. Uh, so I'm looking at John Kasich. Like I'm looking at uh, Corey Gardner in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'm lo- I'm looking at Joni Ernst in Iowa. I'm looking at um, uh, people like I'm looking at Rubio. Um, people like that um, are, are the people that I'm. Looking at, and I will be interested to see how Mitt Romney handles the president, um, and whether or not he decides to make another run at the presidency. Um, I think he's gearing up for it. I don't know. Um, I, I think being in the Senate, he has a significant role to play, um, and running for president. It takes a toll on your family and a toll on you. Um, Absolutely. He's done it twice. Right. He's, um, he swore it off the first time. Uh, and, and he, I, I think it takes a significant toll on his wife. Um, but I think if her health stays good and, and her, um, her uh, multiple sclerosis remains uh, controlled as it is now, uh, yeah, it's viable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the Romneys certainly have the name ID, the fundraising network, um, to to mount uh, a very strong uh, campaign for the, for the nomination, um, and certainly have the the uh, both moral and political differences yeah. from the president, but also share uh, some of the president's political thoughts. Uh, a lot of the executive orders that Trump signed uh, in the beginning of his presidency were written by the RNC for Mitt Romney in 2012, um, preparing for that transition, right. thinking that he was going to be Barack Obama. Right. Those were not Donald Trump executive orders. Those were written for Mitt Romney. Um, mm. and I, but I, I definitely think that Mitt Romney has um, a significant stature and certainly more than a typical freshman junior senator from a very red state would generally right. have. Um, you know, Utah is is a very red state. That said, they they are 
probably about to send a Democrat to the House with Ben McAdams in the 4th District. But um, Utah is traditionally a pretty red state. Um, and to come in as a freshman junior senator, um, you usually wouldn't expect much influence, but most freshman junior senators aren't the former nominees of their party for president of the United States. Right, right. Uh, and so... Certain clout comes with that. Yeah, and and I, I think you you enter with a, a stature that is in a room all its own. Um, yeah. when, you, when you're the former nominee of your party, uh, you have a a certain clout that never really goes away. Um, people, even if they don't really like you, people still tend to listen to what you say. Um, or there's a certain group of people that will always listen to what you say mm-hmm. because you were the former nominee of the party. I mean, people still listen to, to Senator Dole. People still listen to uh, Secretary Kerry, to right. Vice President Gore, especially on climate issues. Um to uh, to to Senator like Romney, uh, to Secretary Clinton. Um, I mean, Michael Dukakis has sort of faded from from the limelight, but I'm sure if he chose to be more vocal, uh, people would listen as a former nominee for President yeah. of the United States. That that is a that that's a pretty elite club there. Yeah, no, to be a, a nominee for President of the United States. I mean, there's less than ninety people. Mm-hmm. Who, who have enjoyed that distinction? It, it's an exclusive group, um, and and one in which membership is not easy to attain. Uh, and so Mitt Romney, I think, will have a pretty significant role to play. And I think Republicans will utilize him uh, a great deal because of his um, name ID, because of his national network, because of his ability. To galvanize uh, the traditional Republican base. I mean, I know Mitt Romney uh, was out here uh, for Martha McSally. Mitt Romney came out here for Jeff Flake mm. uh, when Jeff Flake was still running for re-election. Um, Mitt Romney came here for John McCain. Um, we like Mitt Romney in Arizona, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and Mitt Romney's liked in a lot of places. Right. Um, I mean, Mitt Romney um, is for a lot of people still the leader of the Republican Party. Um, I, I think he's the... Um, he, he's certainly a major figure in uh, the alternative to Trump group. Uh, you, you have Mitt Romney, you have John Kasich, you have Ben Sass, you have uh, potentially now Nikki Haley. Um, and, and that would be weird, I think. Uh, to see Nikki Haley mount a challenge, having served in the administration, but it's possible. Oh, uh, she will. <laughs> I, I, well, I certainly think she could down the road. I don't know that she will challenge the president, um, but I certainly no, think maybe not. She, maybe not. But a but a twenty twenty four run is twenty twenty four. Yeah, uh, Larry Hogan and Nikki Never. Haley. That that's a formidable ticket right there. Um, right. You know, and it it uh, I don't know. Uh, but I think Tuesday night was a good night um, for our country, uh, and I, I'm really proud of of very high turnout levels. 
I'm very proud of my home state. I'm very proud of our native state. Um, I know that that you are pleased with with uh, your state of residence for um, for the the results there, and I I think uh, Governor Baker will continue to do a great job. Right. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, and to see Governor Baker win with with a higher percentage of the vote than Senator Warren, um, right. is very interesting. Um, uh, heaven help us if he ever challenges Elizabeth Warren for the Senate. Oh boy! Um, now that's a that's an interesting uh, to be had. But now, but but now I want to know, and then we probably should wrap it up here. But I do want to ask you this because you live there and I don't. Is Charlie Baker? going to run for the Senate in 2020? Hmm. Um, I suppose that it's possible. Um, I think he really likes what he's doing right now. I think he really enjoys being the governor of Massachusetts. Um, and so I'm not really sure that that's his next step, but um, it's definitely possible. I, I, I think it's definitely going to be in the future. Um, Is it your boss's next step? Mm, that I don't think so. Um, I really? Think- yeah, I don't want to speak for him, uh, so I'll put that disclaimer in here. But but my my indication, what I believe is going to happen, is that he gets tapped for VP either in 2020 or 2024. Um, and if that is successful, then he mounts his own presidential campaign after serving as vice president. Maybe he goes back and and runs for Senate. See, I I, I still think that a 2024 nomination for vice president is more viable if he's in the Senate than the House. I don't. I mean, no. I'm and I'm a traditionalist in that, so maybe that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think I think in in modern times it really doesn't matter. I think it it matters who um, who's getting the FaceTime and. And he certainly he, has been a leader for the party. He's um, been a leader, especially in the last um, but couple I, years. And uh, I just wonder because people people are saying that Senator Markey, you know, is probably maybe thinking about retiring. Um, he's been around Washington for a very long time, um, and is uh, not getting any younger. Right. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of. I, I don't know. I made an assumption that Joe Kennedy is the is the logical person to succeed Ed Markey in the Senate. Um, he's young. He's bold. He's fresh. He's very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, he's a known quantity. And for God's sake, he's a Kennedy, and it's Massachusetts. I have no doubt that he would win. I just don't know if it's necessarily his most desirable next step. Um, I... I think I don't know that going to the Senate would hurt him, though. No, it certainly wouldn't hurt him. Um, 
to the extent that it would help him. I, I honestly, well, I think the only way that it helps him that he would need it maybe is if he, if, if, I don't know. The only scenario I see is if he, um, is a VP running mate for somebody that, and, and that ticket doesn't win, then he goes back and runs for the Senate and then uses the Senate to catapult into a presidential campaign. I, I, final thought on this, and then I know it's getting late for you, so I'll let you get to bed. But um, we talked about earlier that, that every senator has a wheelhouse. Mm. Joe Kennedy, I know, has them, but a wheelhouse is harder to articulate when you're one of 435 versus one of 100. Very uh, true. Very so, true. I, I, I don't expect Congressman Kennedy to listen to this, but I'm a Republican. Um, and if I was Joe Kennedy, I would seriously consider running for the Senate um, because wheelhouses raise you to articulate. Uh, and because I know that he's not done serving our country, um, I, I'm, I'm sure that um, I, I think he's quite viable as a future nominee for, for vice president or for president. Um, and I'm a Republican. Um, but I think I think he becomes even stronger uh, as as people know more of where he's really passionate. And I think that that shines especially uh, in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because of the work that can happen on committees in the Senate, too. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot that can get done in the Senate right. because there are so few. I mean, you, you, you move into the upper echelon, uh, and there's, there's, a, a, there's a quarter of the people who are members of the Senate versus the House. Um, and so, I don't know. That's the reason that I would consider it if I were him. But he, he, I mean, he is a prominent figure, and he's gotten a lot done as a member of the House. So I don't really think there's any bad path forward for Joe Kennedy. Um, no, I mean, it's all, it's... I mean, I mean he, he, he was unopposed in his election for the House, and he was selected as the Democratic response to the State of the Union. So I, I definitely think that he, his place is acknowledged as a rising star, and I think that his benefit is um, he is tied to the progressive movement but he's also because of his family uh, tied to establishment not that his family's values haven't always been pretty progressive mm-hmm. but but his family has been around American politics for a very 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 long time um, and, and people know the Kennedys and trust the Kennedys like the Kennedys mm-hmm. um, well at least people in Massachusetts do um, they, they, I sure do. They sure do. I mean, I mean, they, they sent his father to Congress for sixteen years. They right. sent his, his uncle to the Senate for a long time. Right. Um, I mean, um, yeah. There's, there's no mistaking the influence of the Kennedys in Massachusetts. Um, but anyway, final thoughts, my friend. Uh, I guess my final thought would be that I. I'm wonderfully pleased with Tuesday's voter turnout. And I think that now that we've seen how many people we can get to the polls, we will, we should never, ever settle for anything less than that. 
Um, and as the ideas become more structured and our, um, our groups become more uh, formalized and we see more of a real base come together, I think that we are in for some very, very wonderful years uh, for the United States uh, in, the, in the next two, four, six, eight years. I'm, I'm very optimistic about our country. Uh, if the trends that were shown on Tuesday uh, continue in terms of turnout and enthusiasm for uh, the candidates who were elected. Um, I, I think uh, Joe Biden was right in his 2016 uh, convention speech when he said that you should never, 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 never bet against America. That's right. Don't do it. This is the greatest country in the world, in the history of the world. And as John McCain uh, said, we are 325 million um, boisterous, vociferous, opinionated people. <laughs> we, are, we are different. Um, but, uh, but as he told us in, in 2008 in his concession speech, and he told us again in his farewell letter, we never hide from history. We make history. Mm-hmm. And I think we made a lot of history on Tuesday night. Um, we made a lot of history on Tuesday night. Um, we made a lot of progress for women in this country on Tuesday night. We made a lot of progress for Medicaid expansion and for uh, voting rights, um, for automatic voter registration, the restoration of voting rights for felons. Um, we, we made a lot of progress on Tuesday, but it isn't over. Um, and we need the same level of engagement that was shown on Tuesday to uh, come to congressional offices for the next two years, um, to come to hearings that happen in the Senate, to come to uh, the presidential election in 2020, to come to the primaries, and to come to local elections. People, local elections are really important. They're really important. Absolutely. Uh, they affect you more than Washington, D.C. I know that's hard for you to believe but they are closer to your backyard. They don't make the news because the pay grade is usually low and it's usually not as exciting, but I, the education bonds matter. Raising taxes to fix your roads matters. How much your utility bill is matters. The, these things matter, and there are people who decide those things, and it would be so awesome to see Tuesday level of engagement in those issues uh, as much as we have it in the federal ones and and that's really the last thing I have to say tonight well said <laughs> uh, are you ready to run yet am I ready to run I uh, when I, uh, I I've got a year and a half left of law school and then and then I might be are you ready to help me run yet? I am ready to help manage a campaign. I will say. <laughs> we're, we're, we're. All I will say is if anybody's still listening, well, stay tuned. Good night. We love you.
Good night.